0: Thank you. Uh, this time I'm, I'm, I'm not going to uh, preach. I was asked if I could spend uh, 30 minutes, 30 Latin minutes, <laughs> uh, talking about something that is close to, to my heart, there are two concepts two concepts that have been very close to my heart as a regional director, as a missionary. And these two concepts have to do with, uh, with who I am as a minister and my training. Um, as a minister, I mentioned to you that, that I'm a missionary. I believe in, in I have this bias on, on, on mission, so I, I, I think everything in terms of mission, I can't help. I even, I even think that God had only one son, and he was a missionary. It's just, it's just a bias of mine. So I think everything in terms of mission, the mission of God, Missio Deo. And the second part is my training is uh, my PhDs in organizational leadership. And so during the last 20 years or so of ministry, in addition to working in compassion and ministry, which has been uh, my passion, I have been trained in, in observing, observing the church, and, and so I have become a student of the church. Somebody would say an ecclesiologist who studies mission, so a missiologist, and that's quite complicated. So um, what I have uh, been, and, and I think it's going to be a good introduction to what uh, the strategy that, that Steve is going to give us later on church health. Because the question that I have been asked is, how do we engage our leadership, how do we engage leaders missionally, the Jesus way? And um, there's a lot of words there, and forgive me, there's a lot of jargon there. Uh, That's what I got off the pulpit because I'm even embarrassed that there's a lot of jargon there in the title. There is a lot of jargon. Let me just tell you. Let me just give you the first disclaimer. The word engage is jargon. The word missional is jargon. And the word leadership is jargon. Shame on me. With all of this disclaimer, let's start with something less jargonish. In studying the church, what I have discovered is that the West, and and this is particularly for you, the church in the West, or in places where the church has been longer than 40 years. Why 40 years? Is Is there a magic on the number 40? It's a generation. They were 40 years in the wilderness. Why 40? Because in 40 years... The reality is that I have been invited to come and celebrate the centenary of a church in Canada, in, in uh, where is it? Amsdale, yeah. That, I, I'm going to be there, God willing. But I tell, I'm going to tell them that we're going to celebrate the hundred years of the founding of the church, but not, it's not the hundred years of the church. Because they're, they're like on their fourth or fifth iteration. That's, that's the reality. The, the life of a church, the average life of a church is 40 years. The average life of a congregation. Now we could have, we could have a building with a name and with a number that the denomination gives that could be for 200 years. But that's, the church changes. So I have discovered, I have studied intentionally... Being an architect and a planner, specializing in leadership development and with fascination about development and health, I have decided to study the, the health of the church. And in studying the health of the church, we have been identifying some epidemics. It's different to have, you know, every church will we'll go through, like, like people, you know, we have, we get a cold probably in a setting like this chances are that one of you has a cold in a setting like this every time of the year one percent of the people have a cold so at least one of you have a cold if you have a cold god bless you stay away from me (laughs) because everywhere i go to a place like this i catch a cold because people love me so much they hug me and then i get it and then i go to the next place that's not an epidemic in other words, we're not talking about issues. Every church, every church, every time faces issues. I could sense in the report last night that there are some churches this year that face issues. Now, that's what I'm talking about. What I'm talking is about epidemics, something where most churches suffer. You know, there is an epidemic of Zika now in Brazil. That's epidemics, okay? What I have found is that the church that has been around for over 40 years begins to show signs of what I call the old wineskin epidemic. Now that's a biblical term. Mark chapter 2. Remember the Lord is being challenged because he's changing some of the things and then he says, listen. Who will put new wine into old wineskins? If we put new wine into old wineskins, the new wine has a lot of acidity. I assume that the Lord was specialist in, in wine stuff. I'm not, I'm not talking in favor of drinking wine. I'm just talking about the principles of, of acid decomposition. And he probably said, look... The new wine produces a lot of acid, and a lot of acid has the, te- the tendency to inflate. And if you have an old wineskin, and if you put new wine into old wineskins, the old wineskin is going to burst. And we're going to lose both. It's going to be a lose-lose loose proposition. I have to emphasize this because a lot of people are talking about, they're talking about all oh, we have to embrace the new wineskins that, that's the new language remember they're not talking this is not what they're talking about what he's saying is we gotta we gotta create new wineskins for new wine and the old wineskins we gotta protect them that's what he was saying he was basically saying use your mind the new stuff has the tendency to shake the old stuff. And the kingdom is not about revolution. So let me just tell you, if we, we, pro- we have to protect the old wineskins. That's what I'm telling you. I'm not talking about preserving them. What I sense is that this district is at the, at the cusp of some new wine. Let me repeat this. You don't seem too excited about it what I sense is that this district is at the cusp of new wine okay new wine needs new wineskins but at the same time we have old wineskins that we're not going to destroy because he says if you pour new wine into old wineskins we're going to lose both the old wineskins are gonna burst and the wine is gonna be spilled the truth of the matter is that contemporary ecclesiology in the West has not gotten it they got it wrong I'm sorry I'm not an expert but I it just, it just it's a simple, a simple ecclesiology they got it wrong if you put new stuff and by new stuff is whatever multicultural coffee stuff Uh, Kumbaya, whatever new stuff you bring, and you put it into old wineskins, the old wineskins are going to be messed up. And the young people are going to leave. And you lose both. That was the principle. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you a diagnostic on what I have seen of some of the old wineskins epidemics. Things that I have observed in the West and in the Old South. The first epidemic is called templitis. Now, let me, let me just give you an, another term. I, I'm, I'm not a medical doctor. When I graduated for my PhD in 2001, my daughter, uh, we took her out of school in Colorado, went to Virginia. And, and one of her friends asked her, Beth, where were you last week? Oh, my dad graduated as a doctor. A doctor? Yeah, but he's not a real one. <laughs> That's what my daughter said. I'm not a medical doctor, but I also, boy, I know that the term itis, itis means the infection of something good. So if you have tonsils, tonsils are I don't know what they're for, but if they are infected it's called tonsillitis. Okay? The gastric system is good, but if, it is, if you have an inflammation you call it gastritis. So itis is my ecclesiological term for something that is good but that has been diseased. Get it? So the first thing that I have found is called templitis. It happens now in the West. The first indication is because we think that everything has to happen in the building. Yeah, we say it has to happen in the building. The first thing that we want to do is we have an organic church and we meet here. And then the first thing that we want to do is what? Have a building. In fact, in fact, we even, when we say on Sunday, we are going to what? Church. We're going to church. That is, that is not biblical. That's an aberration. The term is not we're going to church, but we say that all the time. In fact, my, in my family, we say it all the time where are you going? I'm going to church. We say that all the time. In fact, somebody said the problem of society, uh, the problem of Christianity in the West is that people no longer go to church. What do you think about that? Is that accurate? Let me just repeat this, this axiom. The problem of Christianity in the West today, is that people don't go to church anymore. Is that right or wrong? What is the problem then? The problem is that the church doesn't go to the people. <laughs> okay. We are the church. We are the church. But we have, been, we have been saying, you know, the church is this. This is the church. What a beautiful church. You know, I call this a building. I'm an architect, so I know the difference between a building and people. <laughs> we are the church. We gather in buildings. But we got to get our concepts right. Over the years, and, and in fact, this is not new. In all of this, you know who is responsible for that? The Romans we gotta blame somebody. (laughs) Yeah, the first four hundred years of the movement they didn't have buildings. They gathered in caves, living rooms, catacombs, four hundred years. Four hundred years. In fact the first building was built in 412 when Constantine decided to honor to honor mama, Sophie, and build a beautiful basilica in Constantinople now known as Istanbul, and now it's a mosque. In fact, the term Basilica, you know Catholics, they're so proud of Basilica. Basilica is not a religious term. Basilica was a building of the Roman Empire. They just crossed it, Christianized it. And now it's religious buildings. That's the first... No, don't get me wrong. We need, in the winter, we need a place to gather. We do need a place to gather. The problem is not the buildings. The problem is when the buildings become the heart of the church. I have met a lot of pastors who spend their their entire ministry on a building program. And a lot of their efforts are on paying off the building. The building. Here's the second one. It's called clergitis. Don't get me wrong. Tonight I'm going to ordain three awesome clergymen. But we got it wrong. We think that the pastor does everything. Churches, we treat the pastor as our employee, or we are hiring the pastor. There's nowhere in the manual that says that we hire a pastor. It says we call a pastor to a relationship. We don't hire pa- The pastor is not, is not the employee of the church board. The pastor is not the employee of the church, but they're the church. I remember being in churches where, where people say, well, pastor, that's what we pay you. When the pastor says, we have to evangelize. Well, pastor, what are we paying you for? we have to go and disciple well pastor what are you, we paying you for we have this idea that the pastor well but it's, it's, it's really our fault because the pastor is the church there are pastors who have created that idea in fact somebody said to me do you go to Rick Warren's church so now I go to Jesus Christ church <laughs> even in the church of Nazarene have you gone to so and so church his church is good I said it's not as good as mine because mine, Jesus, is the head. See, we, pastors, we have also been respons- co-responsible for the problem because some of, us, some of us love this and say, well, you know what, this is what we're going to do and I'm, I'm going to do it because I am the man or woman with the color. And some of us even use, even use what is called spiritual abuse. Oh, there's a book called the, 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 the Subtlety of Spiritual Abuse. This study is a study on how clergy to ele- They probably are clergy with Napoleonic Syndrome. You know, clergy who, who d- people don't listen to them. So in order for people to listen to them, they just go to a position of authority and... I am everything. And, and there are people, there are churches where the pastor is everything. I remember... We used to call it in Guatemala when I was a youth leader, we used to call it the Jimmy Schwager syndrome. I don't know if you remember. Now, I'm not talking about the moral thing. That's a different story. No, I'm talking about the Jimmy Schwager syndrome because you remember he would play the piano, he would sing, he would preach, he would pray, he would collect the offering, he would spend the offering. I mean, he did everything. Everything. So... Now don't get me wrong, clergy, we have a role. The role of the pastor is a biblical role. It's to be the shepherd of the church. First Peter talks to the elders. In the letter Peter says, do this not out of obligation, but because because you love it. Not because of the salary. He said that because it doesn't pay well. He said it. Not because of material gain, because, well, it's not the best career to make money. <laughs> Do it for the reward that the prince of all shepherds will, has already reserved for you. The problem of clericalism is that, or, or, or cler- clergyitis, is that we have made the clergy the church. Lay people say, you, That's what we pay you. You do it. Or pastor who said, I am the church. I am the church. Both sides are wrong. I've seen it. The third one is called believeritis. Now, there's nothing wrong with the believer. The problem is when the believer, when the church exists to feed the believer. See, the Lord didn't say, didn't say, go and make believers. You know what he said? Go make disciples. Now, the, the, the role of shepherding has two parts. And that's what we get them confused. Because on the one hand, the Lord said, go make disciples who disciple. But he also told Peter in John 21, feed my sheep. And that has been the, the, the word of the day, you know. You are my sheep, you smell like sheep, all of that kind of stuff. However, there is a problem when the believer, the believer has been a sheep for 50 years and is like this. Well fed, you know. Spir- I, I've known Christians who, I mean they have been for 50 years, they have been fed spiritually all the stuff that is in the kingdom but they don't give anything away because the church exists to feed the believer the problem of in in the the first part of the 21st century the problem the most prevalent problem of 21st century western church thanks to this, this new thing of the seeker church the seeker sensitive church is that we have designed our church to really feed and entertain the people to come all our programs are for them because the believer is a customer we, we treat them the, be, the better church is the church that is big like Walmart you know what Walmart's uh, slogan is we sell for less that's their slogan Art Gay Evans Jr., the former president of the National Association of Evangelicals in the U.S., he used to say that the biggest problem of our generation is theological reductionism. When we reduce everything, everything to consumer packaged goods, when we basically reduce the gospel to things that consumers could buy, and so it has become a commercial Christianity. And so we, we basically, we serve a cheap gospel so that people could be happy on the pews and if they don't like it they go to target you know what i mean so we sell for less because otherwise the competition is going to take away the believers the believers are customers see the believers have to be disciples not customers here's the next one and these Nazarenes are really really sick of this one It's called Structuritis. Some of us believe that the form is more important than the mission of the church. In fact, we focus more on what we do and not on who we are. I conducted a survey in Latin America when we were part of the commission of the Nazarene Future, and we were asking the question, what are Nazarenes known for? You know that in places where we have been longer than 60 years, we are better known for the manual than we are known for the doctrine? I kind of don't like that. I love the manual. Did I tell you that I memorized that thing? I really like that thing. But you know what? That's not what we're known for. We should be known for our message and our mission but a lot of us are more interested in our structure even if it doesn't work it may have worked fifty hundred years ago and now it may need to change but we say no 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 in fact NYI the global NYI conducted an, a study a fabulous study they said that at the beginning the church of the Nazarene was all about the movement. We were a movement. We were a holiness movement. We came together as a holiness movement celebrating out of of one many, out of many one. Then that movement got so excited and we rallied behind the mission. From movement we were focused on mission. So for about 30 years We focused on mission. We were a missional church. First, we were a movement, and let me just tell you, movements are messy, But their own nature, they're a mess. Every time there's movement, there are things falling on the on the wayside. But from the movement, we went to a mission, so we rallied behind the mission. We were so good at mission that in the seven, up to the 70s, we between 1950 and 1974, we focused on the machinery. We developed a lot of mechanisms, a lot of methods. We were excellent at NWMS and NYPS and then whatever est- ends before, there. So we had all we we were good at our machinery. That's when the Church of the Nazarene had its its highest point because we had methods for everything: church growth, church planting, evangelism, mission societies. But then from '74 to 2004, our denomination, the old institutions, have been more focused on the monument than we have been about the mission. So we went from movement from movement to mission, from mission to machinery, from machinery to monument. So we just get gathered to celebrate the good old days. That's exciting, but not really. structuritis but the worst that, that we have found in the in the west is sdd i'm not saying sdd the church is suffering from sdds which is called spiritual deficit disorder and that's the most that's the scariest because when all these things are more important the building the clergy the co- the consumer the structure then that those are indicators of a deeper problem which is called sdd spiritual deficit disorder that's kind of gloomy isn't it i spent 30 minutes 30 precious minutes giving you a gloomy picture of the church in the west probably the church in canada not just the nazarene the church in general in canada but there're good news the good news is That we can grow like Jesus. When the Lord, there is, and uh, Dr. Macmillan spoke today about the fact that Jesus probably for about eight years of his life, he was a refugee in Egypt, comes back at age 12 and he goes to the temple and he's presented and that's all the narrative we find between the birth and the ministry of Jesus. That's all there is. Chapter 1 is the birth. Chapter 2 is about him presented at the temple. And then chapter 3 starts with the ministry of Jesus when he's 30. And of course, there's a lot of speculation about what. Uh, there is, there is, a, there is a, a, a very bad, bad book. There's not even a Christian book saying that, that Jesus, from, from age 15 to age 30, went to Kashmir and became kind of like the, a guru, Hindu guru, whatever. All, all this. Here's, here's the issue the only the only scripture that we find that gives us the narrative of jesus growing holistically is there luke 252 it's a transition it's transition from from preparation to ministry it's very simple and the Lord Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature, and grace before God, and grace before men. That's profound. Because that's how a healthy church needs to grow. So let me introduce you, in, in the next five or ten minutes, I'm going to introduce you to, to a model. It's, it's biblical. That's what brought us to the seven characteristics. You want to have a healthy church? A healthy church is a church that displays these seven characteristics. And they are, you could find them in Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 4. They are there in the description of the early church in Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 4. A church of meaningful worship, of deep doctrine, of passionate outreach, of intentional discipleship, developing as a church, Develop, transforming, developing transformational leaders where no one was facing need. So, where do we come up with this? Well, it's in the model of Jesus. Here's the model of Jesus. Jesus experimented the four things. I mean, scholars, scholars talk about it. You could, you could read Schwartz. You, you could read all the church development specialists. They're going to tell you, tell you about the four dimensions. I'm going to give you the, the tip. They say about Inward, outward, upward, around. That's what they say. That that sounds nice. Others call it implosion, internal growth. Explosion, external growth. Devotion, growth with God. Transformation, society. Whatever you want to call it. Or I call it internal growth, external growth, devotional growth, transformational growth. A healthy church is like a, it's like a four-cylinder engine, where all four engines are working. Now, you could have a car that is running on three cylinders. It still runs, but it's not full speed. You could have a car where two of the four engine of the four cylinders. Are running That makes an awful noise, but still runs. You even could have a car with only one cylinder and it's going to go lousy. Well, we have churches that only either grow internally, but at the expense of external growth. Others grow externally at the expense of internal growth. Others have poor devotional growth. So this is what we propose. We propose that a healthy church is a church that grows in wisdom. And that growth in wisdom is internal growth. And it's reflected in deep, intentional discipleship, deep, intentional fellowship, and the third one that I didn't put there, deep, intentional stewardship. Internal growth is expressed through discipleship, fellowship, and stewardship. External growth... Is the figure of he grew in stature. A church that has deep roots, how do you know that a tree has deep roots? How do you know that a tree has deep roots? Deep roots. The wind won't blow it over. It won't blow it over, but 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 that's when the wind comes. But if you look at it and you say, Oh that, that tree has deep roots, how do you know? Wide branches. Fruits and the width of the branches. As an architect, I was learning that that you gotta be careful how close you plant a tree. You have to study how deep and how wide the root of a tree is because depending on the, the, the breadth of the root, the, the branches are going to tell you how deep and how wide the roots are. So if a tree is going to grow branches that are huge that means that eventually the roots are going to try to go in the basement on the foundation it's a principle it's, a, it's, it's an organic principle do you want to know how deep the roots of a church are you see it because of their fruits I don't buy it the one that says you know what we are few but saint that's only the ones who focus on internal growth they, they're called the chosen frozen That's a fallacy. There's no such a thing as the chosen frozen. If there is depth in your church, if there there are deep roots, if there are deep roots, you're going to show it because your church evangelizes and because your church plants other churches. It's normal for a healthy person to have other children. It's normal. Some don't have them, but it's not considered normal. The normal thing is for for living beings to give life to new living beings. The same is true with the church. The normal thing for a healthy church that has deep roots is that a deep a church that is deep is a church that evangelizes and that plants another daughter church. I love the story. I think I really love the story of of Main Street. Main Street. Awesome. It's a story. It, it is a church that obviously is alive. It's not old. It's probably in its fourth generation. But when you look at their numbers, I, I was listening to, to what uh, Brother Del Valle was saying today, this morning. It's all very simple, easy. We got to 200, we gave 50, planted a church we got to 120, kept on growing, we got to 200, we gave 50 to another church, now we're getting to 175. That's health. The depth of a church is reflected by the outreach. Conversely, a church that grows fast and wide without discipleship is going to be blown by any wind of doctrine. Then we measure growing in grace before God. The scripture says he grew in grace before God. That's devotion. A church that is healthy is a devotional church where praise and worship are not performance. Let's make the distinction between praise and worship as performance. I have a problem with the rock star church. <laughs> In, uh, in Canada, Atlantic, I, I, I kind of played a joke on them because they had awesome worship. They worshiped for, forever. And everybody was standing, and then it was my time to preach. So I came to preach, and I said, now I'd like the, the, the worship team to stand up while I pray, while I preach. Because they asked me to stand up while they were singing. <laughs> And it was like an hour, and that was my turn to speak for one hour. That means two hours standing. Well, everybody's just half and half. I said, "Well, at least you guys, you're going to stand up while I preach. That way, we're, it's fair." Uh, there is there is a new wave that is coming now, in in especially from two thousand five now, and it's thanks to, to what the Lord is doing in Australia through through Hillsong, and they are truly, they are truly a a a, a prophetic movement of God. But some of us are copycats. And we just think that worship is performance. And now we have smoke, you know, as if, we're, as if Jesus is going to come faster if we have smoke. and You know, and, and it's performance. Now, so in some cases, it's cool because young people, new, 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 new wine, they use that kind of new wineskin. Okay? I got to tell you, I had my conversion to rock music here in Toronto in 99. I don't do, I, I, I didn't do Christian rock, my wife did, she, she was a Petra fanatic. Yeah, I mean, when our daughter, when she was pregnant of our daughter in Cincinnati, we went to watch Petra and the poor thing was just going like this. <laughs> and, and to date, that girl loves rock. So I was I was here in I was here in Toronto, I was I was one of the speakers and and they had a room where you remember where we were eat, we would just go to eat and that was the day I was going to preach and, and and I'm I'm there by myself and I'm just getting my food. Everybody else is eating on the convention center, whatever. I'm eating by myself where the 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 speakers and musicians are eating. And here comes this guy, this guy with shorts and flip-flops and the hair that looked like a mop you know, and, and he, he comes and goes, uh. And I just, I know that language and I go, uh. And... So he sits next to me and I'm thinking, these NYI people, they're so cool. They're letting the homeless to come and, and eat with the speakers. They're awesome. So we sat there, you know, and, and I ate and he ate. We didn't say more than uh. And so, so the guy just f- finished eating and goes, uh, And I go, uh, so cool. So, before, before I'm preaching that, that Thursday, uh, they take us behind the scenes for the prayer, and, and, and so this new, this new team, worship team, they were praying, and, and then Mob comes next to me. And he holds my hand. And he goes, What's So. <laughs> so, then he goes to lead worship before I go. He, he, he's part of the lost and found. He was lost and I was found. I don't know. <laughs> and before I spoke, right before I spoke was audio, audio adrenaline. Imagine even the name is kind of, yeah. And I'm thinking, I, my wife loved Petra, audio adrenaline, all of that. I, I didn't even get to the news boys, you know. I was kind of a classic. And audio adrenaline is playing. My dad used to call it, it's a concert of cats and dogs fighting. That's, that was my dad. <laughs> and they are playing. And, and I, curious, I just go to the curtain and I look. And dozens of kids are on the altar of the Lord, That's right. praising Him. That's right. And the Lord convicted me. Who am I to judge? who or what ushers me to my presence." And that was my conversion here in Toronto. I have, I have told that story many a times. Worship, praise and worship is not about performance, it's not about format, it's not about instrument, it's not whether or not you use piano and hymnal or whatever. It's praise and worship that usher people to the presence of the Almighty so that people will worship Him in spirit and in truth. Who cares about the method? It's a church where the Word is preached when there is a solid preaching of the Word. That shouldn't be placed there, but friends, I have found places where preachers (coughs) preach the topic of the day. and with prayer is central in the life of the church. If you ask the pastors whose churches are vibrant and growing, without exception, we heard it today. If not five times, we didn't hear them enough. All of them, their success is prayer. Prayer is at the beginning, at the end, and at the center of their life. And then, a church that is healthy is a church that grows grows in grace before men. It's a church that when you leave town, people say, why are you leaving us? Because they sense the community. It's a church where everyone is involved in ministry. Everyone is involved in ministry. Everyone. Because we are all royal priesthood. Some of us are preachers. Some of us are clergy. But all of us are ministers. And it's a church in which we serve the community. It's a church where the Lord will add to the church those who are to be saved. That's the model of Jesus. Very simple, isn't it? It's, I'm not bringing you anything that is just out there, deep stuff. In fact, it's just, we just put in there just 45 minutes to fill the time. The church in the West is facing the epidemics of old wineskins. But the answer is always Jesus. Jesus is the center of the church. Jesus is the head of the church. He said, I will build my church. And he will continue doing that. May the Lord bless you. Amen. Praise the Lord.